Welcome to the podcast of Fellowship Church in Dallas, Pennsylvania. To find out more about Fellowship Church, visit fellowshipefc.org. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining into our Fellowship Church podcast. Uh, my name is Pastor Nick, and I'm here alongside Pastor Mark and Pastor Stephen. And uh, first, I want to say thank you for uh, listening to this podcast episode. Um, we're excited about the topic, one I think that is very relevant and uh, I think is uh, becoming more and more of a trend in recent years, and one that the Bible actually speaks a lot to in many ways. And so we want to take some time to highlight uh, cohabitation. And so that will be the focus of our podcast episode today. And so uh, again, I'm Pastor Nick, and I'll be helping facilitate some discussion today. And so um, yeah, looking forward to starting this conversation. And uh, so what this time is going to look like, uh, we're going to discuss some of the biblical framework for marriage. We're going to talk about some cultural perspective on cohabitation. And if you're already wondering what is cohabitation, what we mean by that is for a couple living together outside of marriage. That's really what we mean by that. And we'll clarify some more of what that uh, looks like uh, and the specifics of that. And we're going to also then talk about some responses to cohabitation and what the culture uh, wants us to believe about that. And then uh, throughout that, we will uh, offer some uh, pastoral encouragement, uh, point you to some scripture, and kind of talk more about what this actually means through a biblical worldview and what God is calling uh, relationships and marriages to really look like. And so that'll be the focus of our topic here today. So again, thanks for joining. And um, there's a lot to talk about and cover. So without further ado, let's jump right in. So let's start off with discussing more of what is a biblical framework for marriage, because I think that is important to understand before we even talk about the issue. Let's kind of set a precedent for what do we mean by a biblical view of marriage? So let's start off by just uh, answering the question, what is marriage in light of God's design? Maybe Pastor Mark, you can uh, start off. With some of your thoughts on that, what is marriage, especially through God's design in a biblical perspective? Well, I um, I had mentioned earlier that um, we had a, uh, a, a document <clears throat> as a church that helped us to do that exact uh, thing to, uh, to really define this. <clears throat> and so um, I I'd just like to read a couple a uh, couple lines from that because I think it answers it really well. Um, it says marriage, uh, and this is a this is something that we put together as a church to help us define how we see it. Um, and it says marriage is the original and foundational institution of human society, first seen in Genesis, whereby God establishes the joining together of one man and one woman in lifelong covenant relationship. Jesus Himself reaffirmed marriage as God's design for unity of one man <clears throat> and one woman. Despite the existence of uh, other views within our modern society, we are compelled by our faith in God and our deeply held religious beliefs in Jesus and his word to continue to practice and support marriage only in this way as monogamous, heterosexual, one flesh union between a man and a woman. Um, And uh, so I think that does a pretty good job of of, uh, defining it. And I'm sure we can break some of that down as we go. Yeah. Um, where do you see um, the design for marriage really finding its foundation in the scriptures? Uh, maybe Pastor Stephen, you could shed some light on that. Yeah, so that was a great uh, description, kind of making specific a lot of those details. Um, some of the, the the major scriptural support comes from uh, really what was mentioned in that document, and that is right at the beginning in Genesis. I think it's interesting that that right away in the second chapter of scripture, God is creating this foundational institution. And so looking at Genesis chapter two, kind of starting in verse 18, it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him, corresponding to him. Uh, and then um, God creates Eve from Adam and brings them together. And joins them together, and then and further down in chapter two, verse twenty-three. Then Adam, the man, said, "This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. 
she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And that's how the chapter ends. And so this design that God has created, and then he brings these two together. And so that's the foundation for that aspect of marriage, where the two are becoming one. So you see two aspects of that leaving, man leaves his father and mother, and then joining to his wife. And that's really what that's uh, that's talking about. So that's one of the major foundational places in scripture. And I think what's important to note in developing a biblical worldview and perspective on this is all throughout the scriptures, um, you see nothing but language revolving around husband and wife. I mean, we see examples of some very poor relationships and marriages, and those are always directly tied to not honoring the Lord and God's design. Um, but even considering Ephesians 5, there's a whole description on marriage that Paul gives affirming that design in which you just talked about in Genesis 2. And it's all wives, husbands, wives, husbands, specifically giving the definition of man and woman in covenantal marriage. So I think even having those definitions in mind and when you look through the scope of the language used throughout the bible it's very clear and pointing to husband and wife and those words mean exactly what they mean <laughs> husband and wife in marriage not what we might want to define husband and wife well that's just somebody who is committed to the other person but not through this covenantal becoming one flesh marriage no the, those words literally mean husband and wife formed together one flesh bone of my bone in covenant marriage before the lord um, yeah any yeah other i think thoughts? there's a, i think there's a couple of really important things that you mentioned there one is the covenant part of it and so that's what this relationship is it's it's not just about uh two people who have interests together or two people who like each other that we've made this decision but actually a key part of it is that covenant relationship making that declaration entering into a covenant that's what marriage is and so that's a very important part of that definition and then as you brought in ephesians 5 um that's a really significant passage of scripture as well genesis 2 is talking about that institution of marriage for humanity ephesians 5 is looking at it from the perspective as the church as christians and even elevates that relationship even higher because paul says in ephesians 5 that the relationship between a husband and a wife, he says, is a profound mystery, but it's a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. So now this marriage covenant is actually an evangelistic witness to uh, the, the people around, to the family and to friends of the gospel picture. And, and we know that our relationship as Christians, as the church to Christ, is a covenant. Jesus entered a covenant with us uh, through his blood. And so that even highlights it for Christians, the importance of marriage and the marriage covenant is even elevated because it represents Christ's love for the church. It represents the gospel. Yeah. So like in, in Genesis 2, you have God uh, essentially performing the first uh, marriage ceremony um, in bringing uh, Adam and Eve together. And then in Ephesians 5, as uh, Stephen said, you have then the uh, comparison of of marriage to um, to Christ and his relationship to the church. And now in the Ephesians 5, now it becomes more of an expression even of the gospel. And um, so all it does, all the New Testament does essentially is elevate marriage. It it elevates it to, a, to an even higher standard among believers and Christians. So as society and culture starts to change, it should have no impact on how the church views it because in a New Testament, uh, in the, from a New Testament perspective, um, it's only elevated. Um, and uh, and that is something that we should, as Christians, uh, hold in high regard. And I think the tendency to fall prey to some of these false ideologies is really like playing a game of Jenga. If you start to pull a couple of blocks out, the whole tower begins to fall. And when you see Ephesians 5, there's a direct correlation between the institution of marriage 
And verse 24 in Ephesians 5 says, now as the church submits to Christ, there's a direct connection. And so if you start on one end to say, well, you know, living together outside of marriage, that's okay. Then what you believe of the foundation of the gospel begins to crumble. Because if you're saying that's okay, and Ephesians 5, Paul affirmed that there's a direct connection between marriage and the institution of the church and Christ. And then you say, well, then maybe Christ can choose to come and go as he wants. And it really isn't a finished work, you know, and then it begins to just kind of fall apart with this one little piece. It could really just changes the gospel in many ways entirely. Would you guys agree with that or thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's like Pastor Mark said that uh, in the New Testament just elevates that. And that's what you're talking about uh, as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, as people who have uh, believed that Christ died for our sins and that we have that imputed righteousness that came by his sacrifice through a covenant that he's entered into with us. And that is, we're basing that on what he did. It's not anything that we did. And so it's his word, his covenant, his faithfulness to that that's demonstrated there. And so that's where it's important for us to uh, to recognize that. And that's what we're demonstrating in our uh, in our relationship. And it's, it's, as you mentioned, that covenantal aspect of it uh, that's right at the core of the gospel and marriage. And, and that's why understanding the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ is so foundational because that is what we build our entire worldview upon. That's where it starts. And, you know, when you look at the statistics of, <clears throat> you know, people living together before marriage, like under the age of 30 right now, it has skyrocketed people thinking it's okay. And so when I read about a lot of younger couples um, pursuing that as a, a lifestyle, really it just reveals to me how there's just a lack of understanding of the gospel in many ways, even for a lot of Christians who would say that that's okay. I think it really just shows me, I don't think you fully understand the gospel. <laughs> Maybe there's pieces of it that you're actually missing. Um, any other thoughts on this biblical framework of marriage before we get into more of some of the nitty gritty of what this looks like culturally? Well, I, I think the one thing I would say that kind of leads into probably the next part of the dis this discussion on, uh, on, on the cultural side of things is the fact that what, what we've explained here in Genesis 2 um, and, if, and in Ephesians 5, is that marriage has been defined by God. It's not up for debate. It's not, um, we're not, there aren't uh, questions that we're unsure about, and we, we're trying to figure it out. He has told us what it looks like um, and um, and what he, uh, he, how he defines it. And I think as a Christian, that should always matter to us um, in every area of life, um, not just in the area. We're talking about one specific area of life today, um, and a very important one. But in every area of life as Christians, we're called to see what it is that God has said, and that should uh, that should be the, the, uh, the authority in how we respond. Um, and, um, and I think one of the things that we're going to talk about as we talk about what's happening culturally is part of what's happening culturally is because what I just stated is completely ignored. Um, in other words, what God has said really doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, essentially, that's what we're saying. Uh, we're we're acting as if He has not spoken, and that is just uh, very. It's it's dangerous. It's scary. It's uh, it's presumptuous. It's prideful. Um, and so when we view these things and we have the right approach, it really does humble us before God um, and, and help us to respond uh, in, a, in, in just a more obedient, God-honoring way to something like, you know, like marriage and how we're supposed to approach it. And if you're listening right now, here's your uh, reminder to read and study God's word. <laughs> Take time to read the Bible to understand what God has said, because anything that you ever think about, feel, or wrestling with, God has something to say about it. And we need to get into his word to understand what he has said about it. And then what do we do to respond to that? 
And so here's your friendly reminder from a group of pastors, believe it or not, go take time to read and study the Bible. Not just, let's just do a two-minute version plan every day, which is a great step, but take time to actually get in and study the Bible to see what God has said about this so you don't fall prey to living in a way that God's design is maybe out the wayside. So we're going to take a word from our sponsor, the Holy Word of God. There you go. So there, there's your uh, brief Bible study reminder to do that. Um, all right, so let's let's transition here a little bit into talking more about um, the cultural perspective on cohabitation, i.e., again, living together before marriage. So now that we've kind of defined a little bit of uh, the design and framework of marriage, and again, the Bible has a lot more to say about this, and that would be a long, long podcast, so we're going to just focus on some of the big distinctives here. So let's talk more now about what is cohabitation habitation, um, and how does the culture um, define it, describe it, and then let's begin to then discuss some of what are the holes in this from a biblical perspective. Uh, So maybe Pastor Stephen, do you want to maybe kick us off here? What really is cohabitation? Um, Why is it important for us to even talk about and address here today? Why are we doing a podcast on it? Yeah, I think your definition of cohabitation is helpful to think about that as a couple who are living together um, outside of marriage. And really, as you think about that, that's actually the opposite of or missing a huge part of what marriage is. And that is the covenant relationship. So basically, you have all the other parts of marriage, you're living together, it's kind of a fake marriage or play acting marriage without the covenant. And that's really the issue from that standpoint. And so that can involve sexual activity, but even outside of that, even if there's not sexual activity taking place, you're still missing that piece, that piece of, which is essential to what a marriage is, which is the covenant. And so well-spoken what you said earlier, Pastor Mark, about God has defined it. And so cohabitation is actually a redefinition. It's just saying, well, we can have this thing call it something else and take out an essential piece that God put in. He designed it. And, and that's really what we have when we have cohabitation. Yeah. And so why I'm curious, why do you both think that this is becoming more and more? Okay. Why is this becoming more culturally acceptable? Not only for, non-Christians, but also for Christians as well. Why, why is this becoming such a, a, a common, okay thing? Because right now, um, I, I'm just looking here, um, there's a, a study that came out in uh, 2022 uh, from the Institute for Family Studies. And so this is a non-Christian, uh, quote unquote, secular organization that came out with this study. Um, and right now, 64, I think, percent of people in our country think it's okay. And that has gone up quite a bit over the last few years, especially among millennials and even uh, Gen Z as well. So why, what's the root of why it's becoming more common? The, you're, you're talking about like why um, couples today are just more likely to, in, um, to cohabitate. Correct. Yeah, I think um, I, I think there's you know probably a lot of a lot of different reasons uh, for that. Um, uh, one is just the whole idea of, of a covenantal relationship is not really seen as a strength, or uh, it, it almost seems in our in our society that really uh, values uh, you know um, an individualized approach to things. It, kind of takes that away, you know, the whole idea that I'm in some sort of covenant relationship with somebody else and I'm not allowed to really, you know, be in any kind any other kind of relationship with anybody else. It's restricting and and our our society has just really uh kind of embraced um uh, the opposite of that, which is, you know, freedom, freedom of choice, um the ability to kind of do what you need to do when you need to do it, uh, having a lot of options open. Um, and, uh, when, when you get, uh, married, a lot of that changes and, uh, biblically. So, uh, that's how, uh, you know, that's how God designed it. 
And so I think culturally, um, it's become uh, just very common for people to, um, you know, to approach their relationship with, uh, you know, somebody else, um, whether it's a guy with a girl or a girl with a guy, to to just approach it in that same manner, um, and uh, not really seeing it as I'm developing a relationship. Um, before marriage for the purpose of really identifying whether or not this is somebody that um, that I believe uh, I could spend the rest of my life with in a covenant relationship. That thought process that I just explained there uh, is not really um, a, a process of thought that exists uh, for the majority of young people today. And so then uh, the thought of moving into the marriage relationship um, isn't... Uh, it, from a biblical perspective, isn't really uh, thought of. In fact, most people, I do a lot of premarital counseling. So I've talked to a lot of couples and perform a lot of weddings. And what I've noticed is there are more people, even coming through the church, who are preparing more for weddings um, and get married more for the wedding than they do for the marriage. And that is a problem as well, because what we're trying to do as pastors and, and the church is really help people understand that uh, a wedding is an event, um, and uh, and and our culture and society really places a lot of emphasis on the event. But what we should be as the church putting a lot of emphasis on is um, is the institution uh, of marriage um, and what it is that God has um, you know has has revealed to us and and make that and celebrate that and and that should be celebrated when it's when it's done in the way that God wants it to be done. And we've done that as a church numerous times. And it's such a great thing um, to celebrate because it is so now not um, not as common. Um, but I think those are, you know, those are at least some reasons why, uh, you know, I see, and, and there's certainly more. And, and that really gets, sorry, that really gets to the, um, I think the, the theological underpinnings that you're talking about that I think are often missing, which is, uh, you know, it strikes me because it comes right back to Genesis. It's Genesis three and Satan in the garden and him saying, did God really say, and that's what this is coming to. That's the theological underpinning of this. Did God really define what this relationship should be? Uh, the answer to that is yes, God did define it. He gave it to us clearly. That's what we've been talking about. But culturally speaking, that's always how the enemy works. And he's going to be casting doubt on that. And so those theological underpinnings come away and you can just say, well, you know, yeah, maybe that's what it is. But, uh, you know, I have a better idea. This is going to work better for us or this is more convenient or we have to do this or everybody else is doing that. That's that exact same argument. It's basically saying God has said, but I actually know better or I'm going to disobey him or I'm going to just do it my own way. And that's what our culture is doing. And, you know, that's culture in rebellion toward God is always doing that. I think where we really have to be careful as Christians is, is that what I want to be doing? Is that what I should be saying? Is that what I'm saying in how I'm living uh, my life with my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever it may be? Uh, and that's really the key part of it. Because when you're doing that, when you're cohabitating, what you're saying is, um, God said this, but I'm saying something different and I'm redefining it. And I think that's that's really a a dangerous place to be. And I can understand why we're there because it is so culturally prevalent. But as Christians, um, we have to be much more careful about that because we are people who are seeking to follow God's word. And so that's why, as we've said, as pastors, that's why we're approaching this because we want to help people see that and see the significance of it, uh, that we want to hear what God has said and be obedient to him in that. And I think that's where we have to see it. It's not just about your relationship or what's convenient. It's actually about this foundational principle. Are we being obedient to what God said or are we in rebellion and doing something different? And I think a huge piece of that too is a kind of a caveat to that is, is I, I really think and believe that Satan's desire in this is to taint our view of what marriage is intended to be, to pull down what God's design for it is so almost make it something why should we want it it's not that big of a deal it's really not that good you know when I uh, interact with any TV shows um, that involve any sort of family dynamic or marriage typically it's not always very good and healthy 
I mean, you know, before I became a Christian, some of the shows that my family and I watched growing up, as I think back to what some of those were, none of them had great examples of, you know, um, husbands, great marriages, considering marriage as a good thing to pursue. It was always like, not a big deal, or it's not really that great. And I think it's just become so um, much of a, a virus that has kind of sunk into our belief system is, you know, okay, well, if we pull down what marriage is and its design and its goodness and its intention, then we kind of then begin to take the focus off of it a lot more. Um, and yeah. what's fa- what's fascinating too is um, as, as I was thinking about some of the reasons that people pursue living together before marriage, and especially for me working with, you know, teenagers and college students now for a lot of years, it's often very ironic to me, even for quote unquote Christians, how they will use biblical principles to justify living together. For example, well, we just want to be wise with our money. Why would we spend more money living apart before marriage when we could move in together to save money to prepare for our marriage to be set up better. I mean, some of the top reasons right now, um, according to this study that I was kind of hinting at earlier, is to spend more time with my partner uh, to uh, because it makes sense financially. Um, living together before marriage helps test the relationship. It's kind of a, a streaming service. You know, try it for a little bit, and you can always just cancel later. Um, and it's actually inconvenient to live apart. And so I've literally heard students who claim to follow Jesus say, well, we just want to be wise with our time and our money and our investment. So, I mean, God wants us to be wise, right? So why shouldn't we do this? <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting to, because um, uh, we use here um, uh, for our uh, premarital, uh, we use uh, a lot of the Symbus um, material and they have a lot of information out on this as well. Um, on cohabitation. Um, and they said since 1960, uh, there's been a 12 fold increase in cohabitation from in the 60s, it was 430,000 couples to 5.4 million today. Um, Two thirds of uh, couples today are living together before uh, getting married. Um, and one of the like what you said, um, you know, the whole idea of testing out the relationship is one of the main, um, you know, uh, ideas that they hold to. Uh, that this is a good way to test test it out, um, and uh, what uh, they they also one of the one of the other interesting uh, stats from this is that about two thirds of those who cohabitate believe that by doing so it it will it would actually help avoid divorce. Um, well, well, it will essentially because if you're not married, you're not going to get you're not going to get divorced. Um, but it doesn't uh, actually help to avoid um, the um, the splitting up of a couple, and it doesn't actually lead to uh, healthy uh, relationships. And so, uh, Stephen gave a lot of the really good theological, biblical uh, reasons, and those are more important than what I'm talking about right now, which are more practical reasons. But the practical reasons also demonstrate that it doesn't work. Um, uh, the The cohabiting couples um, are not uh, typically happier than married couples. Their sex lives are not uh, typically uh, as as healthy as well. Um, and uh, there are lots of problems when uh, they split up because they're unmarried and now have sharing of a lot of resources like a home, cars, uh, bank accounts, and it creates a lot of questions that they don't have answers to. And, and it's all really because they decided to um, come together in a living situation as if they were husband and wife without actually becoming a husband and wife. And I think that's one of the main things that I would want to communicate about this, especially to a Christian couple, is you, if you're a Christian and you're in a relationship with somebody, you are, until you actually are married before God um, in, in the way that you should be, um, and you you shouldn't pretend to be a husband and a wife. You shouldn't enter into a situation or a relationship that is um, uh, acting as if it's real when it's not, because it's the the thing that actually allows you to be the wife and to be the husband is the covenant before God. 
and uh, and doing it God's way. And uh, and and that's why we started with that. Um, <clears throat> so practically speaking, um, it doesn't work. And uh, and then uh, obviously, uh, you know, theologically, it it certainly it certainly doesn't <clears throat> as well. That's such an important point. Because when we understand the key part of it is the covenant. So there is no way to like practice for it. Like it's, that's the thing. And so you're pretending, but that's actually not going to prepare you for it. Um, And that's where I think you see practically, it doesn't help. It actually makes it worse. So if you were looking at it from a practical standpoint alone, you're like, yeah, we don't want to get divorced. We want to set up for this. Actually, practically the best way would be to not cohabitate. That's what the research plays out. And I think the reason for that is because it's a covenant, you know, if it's like, as an example, you know, if you're going to, if you swimming by definition is what you have to be in the water, if you're not in the water, you're not swimming. So you can't, you can't practice it, right? You can't do any of those things practice it if you're not doing it. If there's not a covenant, you're not practicing anything. And so there isn't really anything that, that can, uh, that can prepare you for it in that sense. And so I think that's really important for people to see that reality that point that you made is just is really really a key part of it um because there's no like there's no halfway to a covenant that's the point like you make it and you keep it and that's what it is so outside of that you're just pretending and so as you're listening here let me just kind of pause and and bring this into perspective here so biblically speaking that is the foundational reason why we need to be understanding what god says about marriage and having our definitions in a biblical way. And so that alone is your foundation and your groundwork. So step one is developing a biblical worldview around this. And then I think from there, kind of, you know, going into more like you said, Pastor Mark, the practical rationale behind it is what's just so amazing, maybe just interesting to me, is that it's becoming such a a culturally acceptable thing and yet biblically there's a huge reason many reasons why we shouldn't do it because god has told us not to and then secondly pragmatically none of the reasons that people pursue it actually it it pans out like so there's a biblical perspective of we shouldn't pursue it and then from a practical uh standpoint the research and everybody shows it like it just doesn't pan out in the end. And so Satan, according to Revelation 12, he deceives the whole world. Satan is the prince of deception. He wants to deceive us into thinking it's good and it works when it doesn't. And I think we can fall so prey to that deception when you actually look at some of, you know, cohabitation uh, and living together before marriage. I mean, couples who live together before marriage, shows that it doesn't actually lead to better, healthier marriages. It actually leads to higher rates of divorce. Um, Marriages actually aren't as strong if you live together before marriage. I mean, there's tons of reasons why it's not good. And it's not just Christian organizations. There are secular, non-Christian organizations who are all saying the same thing. And so it's just crazy to me how the culture says, yeah, this is okay. It's really a good thing. And yet biblically, no way. And then secularly, they're saying, it's not a good thing. <laughs> so how are we missing this, right? Yeah, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's, it, it really is uh, a, um, it, like it's talked about as if it's so positive, but, but without ever actually looking at the data or, or, or the information that, that proves it's not. Um, there was, there's two things I want to, I want to mention quick. One is, um, there was a, uh, a study done at uh, Rutgers university, um, uh, with the, uh, what they have, they had what's called the national marriage project there. And so this was a secular study, not a Christian study. Um, and one of their, uh, summary statements, uh, after they did some study on cohabitation was this, they said, men experience a few social, uh, few social pressures to marry. They gain many of the benefits of marriage by cohabiting with a romantic partner and are ever more reluctant to commit to marriage in their early adult years. So what they're finding is actually, you know, men are playing a big part in this. But um, one of the reasons why they're being so reluctant to marriage is because of the rise in cohabitation. So that's one one thing I wanted to point out. The other is that a lot of cohabiting couples 
do not decide to cohabitate. They they do what's called they slide into it, and this so it's not a decision. It's it's more of a indecision, and um, so what happens is they date, and a date uh, the dating turns into a sleepover, uh, and then the sleepover turns into more more sleeping over, and all of a sudden um, they're kind of not going one of them isn't going home anymore and it was a lot of times that happens without even a decision or a conversation happening um and that's one of the things that is so different about marriage and having um conducted so many marriage ceremonies and uh, standing with the groom walking down the aisle before the and i and i look at the groom and we had a couple weddings just this past past month and seeing how nervous they are and the one groom a couple weeks ago said to me you know pastor I'm i'm so nervous and i'm like you should be like you're, you're, you're about to make a really big decision. And that is one thing that you're doing in marriage. You're making a decision and you're not sliding into it. It's not something that's just happening and you're doing it before God and people who love you and care about you. And it's just so it's couldn't be more different than just this whole idea of sliding into a, a, a situation that for many people, after they realize they're in it, they don't know how to get out of it because they didn't even decide to do it. It just kind of happened. And that's, again, very, very different than the whole biblical idea of marriage. And that's a great point that gets to something I wanted to, to come back to, which is that 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 you mentioned, Pastor Nick, about, you know, oh, being wise with our finances and saving money. That strikes me as often an argument kind of after the fact, what you're saying there, Pastor Mark. Like, we just end up, you know, oh, we're, we're just spending all our time together. Why do we have two apartments? You know, we can just get rid of that. Like, I don't think it's mostly couples coming together and just saying, oh, you know what, actually, if we live together, then we could save this money. And then they start doing it. Um, and and so I think that's part of it as well, that it kind of becomes this, after you just sort of slide into this, then oh, after the fact, it, it makes sense there. And I want to address the other issue, which is what you mentioned there, um, Pastor Nick, about, yeah, we want to be wise with our money. Well, what is wisdom? Scripture teaches us that the beginning of wisdom and knowledge is the fear of the Lord, meaning reverence for what he said. And so being wise with your money, uh, the first step to wisdom in any situation is actually knowing what God has said and following it. And um, so that's an important part of it. So you're not being wise with your money if you're doing that in a direct conflict to God's design, which is what cohabitation would be. That's actually the opposite of wisdom. The other side of that is I totally get um, the challenges that people face financially. I mean, I totally understand that. As, uh, if you're a single person, um, that's a challenge. So one of the benefits of marriage and this covenant is actually, uh, it is wisdom in the sense of two people coming together and they're sharing resources and they're sharing uh, their partnership and they bring different gifts together. And that's a beautiful part of God's design. So there is that benefit. Um, and so that is a challenge of single life is that you are single. However, there's ways to overcome that that don't involve going against God's design. So, for example, you know, as a, uh, if you're a single man, you could have other male um, roommates, for example, and you can have that kind of economy. So there are ways that you can answer those questions if you have financial challenges uh, that don't involve um, you know, going against God's design. And I think that's a part of it. So understanding that those challenges exist, but there are ways um, to overcome that. And I think a big part of that is relying on the church, relying on the body of Christ, because it's not just financial things. There can be other situations um, for single women. Sometimes there's challenges in, in areas where they, they may need uh, they may need help. They may need some of that support. Well, where does that come from if you're, if you're a single female? Um, that should come through the body of Christ. And so at Fellowship Church, we have community groups, and that's a part of that. And I see that taking place where, um, you know, there's people helping each other out with things. You know, somebody, you know, I, I have to be away or I'm, I have a, um, a surgery coming up and I need somebody to take care of my pets or something like that. Uh, the church can step in in those roles. And so leaning into that. So there are answers to those questions. You know, how do I make this financially as a single person? There are answers to those questions that don't involve cohabitation, that don't involve going against what God's wisdom says. We just have to have uh, the, the courage to follow those and to trust that God's design is good and that he's going to take care of us. And that's really what wisdom is when you come, when it comes down to it. 
And the lie is that we believe, well, I don't have any options, right? You always have options. You always have a choice. Well, I just, I need to save some money. I need a place to stay. Like, I don't see any other way out. Well, I, I believe that God can provide water in the desert. I mean, God, I've seen God provide in my own life in so many ways, including housing, and providing for our needs. And so over the years, I've seen so many students who walk down this road of cohabitation and say, well, I didn't really have a choice. And I'm like, but you always have a choice. There's always options. And so as you're talking about this, let me ask you guys this in this conversation about, you know, living together before marriage. What about, um, friends who are living together, you know, a guy and a girl who are not in a relationship who are just living in different rooms or in a house with multiple people living on different, you know, uh, floors or rooms or whatever. Uh, what about the, the couple who are saying, well, we're living together, but we're not engaged sexually. What would you guys say to those couples? Does all this apply to those instances as well? Well, um, I, I would say, you know, from, from my perspective, um, some of those questions have come up. Um, I've, had, I've had some of those uh, in in just the different um, situations um, that I've been involved with over the years, and um, in I think I think when we're what we're what I think generally we're talking about is a couple um, is a guy and a girl that is in a uh, romantic relationship together um, and, uh, have feelings for, have feelings for each other and are living, um, together. I think that's generally what we're talking about. Um, if that's the case and, um, a, a couple would say, well, actually we recognize, um, because of maybe our upbringing, we recognize that, uh, it's, it's problematic for us, um, to have, it's wrong essentially for us to uh, engage in any sexual activity. So we're, we're abstaining from that. Um, but we're still living uh, together. My encouragement wouldn't change uh, for that couple. I would I would be telling them um, if you have uh, if your desire is to um, spend the rest of your life with this person um, and uh, and basically do life together as a as a couple, then the the right step for you is to is is to be married um, and let us help you do that. Um, and so. I, 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 I found that going back to what you just said earlier, I, I have found that people come up with a lot of different reasons why they shouldn't trust God. Um, we're just really good at it. We're really good at coming up with different reasons why in this particular situation, we shouldn't do it God's way. We shouldn't trust God. And that's essentially what it is. We come up with different ways, um, you know, to do it our own way. Um, there is a way God has, God has, um, you know, provided for it. And, um, so with the different situations um, that I've been faced with throughout the years with couples who are in this situation, and I've had numerous couples um, in this situation, they all have different reasons. They're not all exactly the same reasons that they're in this situation. Um, and But the, the remedy is typically very, uh, very much the same, and that is um, if you love each other and um, and you really you really want to take the step of marriage, um, commit, take that, make that commitment. And um, if not, if you're in a living situation and it's all for practical reasons, um, then as you know, Stephen mentioned, uh, maybe maybe what you what you just really need is a roommate. Like, why are you why are you in uh, in, in what would really be considered more of a romantic type of uh, situation for practical reasons. It doesn't seem to, uh, it doesn't seem to make much sense. Cause I've had that too. I had, I had a person once who um, was, was uh, talking about marrying somebody that they didn't love, um, but they wanted to marry them because it just really seemed to be a good thing for both of them. And I, so that was an interesting one because I was like, well, I think you should actually love this person and um, because what you're committing to. And um, and so it's 
you know, again, it's it, God's design is pretty clear. There's a way we got to do it. And um, we just try to come up with our own rules uh, for why we should do it our own, our own way. Focusing on God's design is such an important foundation for that, because in those situations, um, you know, is it good if a couple are not married and they're abstaining from sexual activity? Yes, that's good because that's part of God's design. But it's more than just that. It's not only that. And so if they're doing that, then, but also living together, sharing a house, sharing those resources, that's a part of it. That's a part of that Genesis 2, leaving and becoming one. So it's a bigger picture than that. And so you have to see God's design from that perspective. And so it's not just about the sexuality issue. That is a big part of it, but it's that whole structure of sharing that life together where essentially what you are doing, again, is redefining what it is. And and as Pastor Mark, you said it exactly right. There's all kinds of reasons, all kinds of excuses. And it always sounds like I have to, I have to do this. You know, like you said, Pastor Nick, um, I have to disobey God. I have to not trust him. Well, that's just, that's a falsehood. And, and I, I mean, I think as pastors, we recognize it's not easy, but whoever said that following God and trusting God is easy. In fact, he actually says the opposite. Uh, one of the verse I wanted to highlight was 1 Thessalonians 4.3, which says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he says that you abstain from sexual immorality. So part of God's will for us is sanctification. Sanctification is not an easy process. And so there are going to be challenges. That's why it takes trust. And so that's a part of that encouragement. Um, it's just, you know, it's just a lie to say we have to do this because otherwise, you know, we have to. Uh, not trust God, or we have to redefine it on our own. And that's such an important, uh, to see that clearly, so you understand what you're doing when you're taking those steps, I think is an important thing. I mean, nothing says I love you more than let's move in together, but I won't commit to you for the rest of my life, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it's hard to see. It's interesting because one of the one of the studies um, that uh, I had seen on this also was talking about the lack of commitment. And again, this was a, not this was not a Christian study; it was a secular study. It was talking about the lack of commitment. And uh, the, the, this was like a researcher, uh, somebody who does like a lot of relationship studies. And they their uh, their final determination was essentially this: that <clears throat> if you're in a uh, they they use the word relationship, but they said if you're in a relationship without commitment, which essentially is what a cohabiting uh, situation is to a large degree, their conclusion was you're actually not in a relationship because part of what it means to be in the relationship, especially in God's view, is this commitment, which we're referring to as the covenant. And so essentially what it just seems like we're trying to do is we're trying to take what God designed as good and 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 put together so perfectly. And we're just trying to take one piece out, like you had said, Nick, about the Jenga piece. We're trying to take this huge Jenga piece out and it's covenant. And then we're saying, okay, but it's all, everything else is there. So it should still be okay. And it's not. Our society is proving that <laughs> um, with, with all that's, with all that's happening because of, 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 to a large degree, we're trying to do that with uh, with marriage and with families. Um, and there's a really good way that God has designed it, and it works. It's um, it just simply works. Doesn't it's not necessarily easy, like like Stephen said, but um, that doesn't mean that it's not the right way that God has uh, you know designed it to be, and for us to follow it. And that's the flip side when we when we do follow and trust God's design. Yeah, it may not be easy, but then you see the goodness of it. And you trust in those pieces when you trust and say, you know what, if God wants me to do this, like then God can provide for me to uh, be able to not cohabitate with somebody. God can provide for me in that, as you uh, alluded to, Pastor Mark, the the kind of the fearfulness of actually taking that step and having a, a covenant um, and entering into covenant marriage. Like God can, God does help us through those things, and and then that's what we can do in celebrating it. And that's as you said, that's why we have wedding ceremonies because it's the community coming around it's the church coming around we're bringing god into this to honor this because we recognize even that marriage is a it's a challenging sanctifying process it's a good thing but that's what god has given and so that's the positive side of that when we trust god with those things we're building on that foundation 
and it has the total opposite effect. It, it produces life and uh, stability and foundation and sanctification and a picture of the gospel. And that's what we want to be doing. And if you believe that God is good, truly good, and then this is God's design for marriage, then we need to then believe the hermeneutic is that marriage, because it's God's design, is the best thing for us. And part of my hope as we interact with, um, you know, students of teenagers all the way through college is to help begin to change the narrative of no godly biblical marriage is the best thing you could pursue. Is it hard? Yes, but it is so good and so worth it. And I think we need to begin to call that to the highlight. And so if you're listening uh, even now and, and you are following the Lord, you are, are living in a biblical example of marriage, my encouragement to you is to highlight that to the, the next generation. When you interact with teenagers and college students, man, talk about how good and godly it is, how you help push each other to become more like Christ. Like let, let's raise that standard and, and highlight how good it is. Invite them into this. Because my, my lament and my, my heart breaks as I've interacted with students over the years who have lived together before marriage is that it just, it doesn't work out well for them. I've seen higher rates of domestic violence, of, of hurt and heartache. Um, you know, they're not experiencing what God's design is. Like all of these factors don't end up well. They get hurt more. They don't actually lead to good marriages. And it just, it just breaks my heart. And so my encouragement to you listening is if you are in a, in a biblical marriage, may I celebrate that? And I would encourage you uh, to celebrate that with younger generations uh, and to help them see the goodness of it and God's design for it. Um, yeah, and could I I'd just speak to that for couples that are, you know, Christian couples that are in a relationship um, to be committed to not cohabitating before marriage, to be committed to that and just recognize why are you making that decision? You're making it because you want to follow God, as we've talked about, and you have to have that resolution. Otherwise, you're going to end up sliding into it, like Pastor Mark said. Uh, and then recognize it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be culturally acceptable that you're going to stick out. It's going to seem weird. It's going to seem strange. People are going to think you're crazy. People are going to say that you're crazy um, for following God's design. But as Christians, we recognize that's the reality. We're following God. Uh, not the not the culture and so we have to just to embrace that so i would encourage you know uh, couples that are dating or whatever as you're seeking to follow the lord it's going to be countercultural, just is and so recognize that and embrace that and then i would also say for couples that maybe they're currently are cohabitating they've slid into that or maybe they've decided to do that or whatever it is how do we respond to that as christians well we know that the Christian life is about repenting and believing. And so it's it's not like there's no going back. It's just a matter of, do you recognize that? Do we repent? Do we say, you know what? Yeah, that's true. God's design is this. I haven't been following it. That's sin. And I want to turn away from that and work toward moving out of that. That's, that's, that's what the whole Christian life is about, repenting and believing. And so if you find yourself in that situation as pastors, that's our encouragement to you. And we're here as pastors and we're here as a church to help you do that, to help you through that process, because that's what the Lord wants for you. And the reality is you can't slide into godliness. You can't slide into biblical maturity. You know, if, you, if you're hoping to just kind of fall into it, you're not going to fall into it. It takes intentional effort to pursue it. And so, uh, so I hope you hear that here is you can't just slide into following the Lord with all of your heart. It takes intentional effort and discipline, and I believe God will bless you for it. So as we kind of wrap up this time, because I recognize there's a lot that we could talk about with this, and uh, we certainly want to continue the conversation. Um, and so as we kind of wrap up here, any, any final encouragement um, for maybe you, Pastor Mark or Stephen, um, your encouragement to couples who are maybe currently cohabitating? I know, Stephen, you touched on it a little bit, but any final thoughts uh, in relation to this conversation, um, why they should seriously consider uh, pursuing God's design? Yeah, I would say uh, first, um, before I get to that uh, specific question, I want to speak just a little bit to those who um, who may be listening, who came from uh, a divorced parents, 
So they might, their perspective might be a little different. They might say, well, actually, you know, I came from a situation where um, my parents did exactly what you said and they did it God's way and it ended badly. And I don't want that. I don't. So there are people who avoid marriage because of what they experienced in their families uh, in, in, in divorce. And my answer to that is a theological one, not a practical one. What you're, what you're experiencing is what I would consider to be the collateral damage of sin. But don't let the collateral damage of sin to keep you from pursuing God's good and perfect design, because that has not changed. And so trust that even though you may have experienced something that is not good because of sin that has taken place, that you've been the collateral damage and receiver of, still trust that God, as you trust him, can bless you uh, with a good and healthy marriage. And that um, is part of his design. And um, and so just just want to acknowledge that that is the case for some people. They have experienced that. And that is that is real and true. But it, what I want to warn against is then believing that that means that it's going to be the same for them. Um, so that's the first thing. The second is in relation to those who who may be listening, who are cohabiting, uh, habitating and, and are thinking about um, what they should do about it. Uh, my, my my encouragement is just first hear, hear grace. There, there is grace for you. And um, if you're uh, if you're local, um, you know, and, and fellowships your church, come and come and talk to the pastors because we're here to help you through that. And that's what you'll receive. You'll receive that kind of grace and help. Um, and if you're not local and you're listening from somewhere else, go to your church or your pastor and say, I've, you know, I've, I've been convicted of this. And now here's the situation I'm in. Help me take the right steps to um, that we need to take, even as a couple, uh, to honor God. And I can speak from experience, having seen so many couples in our church do that. What a blessing it has been to see that, to be a part of it, and then years later to look back and see what God has done in those marriages and relationships. So there is great hope for you, um, and just want to encourage you to be willing to take that step. It is going to take a step of faith, and it is going to require you to acknowledge what Stephen said, and that is the way I'm doing it isn't right. It's wrong, and I need to, I need to change. There needs to be a, a, a course change. Like I need to change direction. Um, and go to God for that uh, repentance, forgiveness, and then get the help that you need because help is there. Amen. And I would just conclude with the the words from First Thessalonians four three that I said earlier from God's word that says, "For this is the will of God for you, your sanctification." And that's whether you're single, whether you're married, um, whether you're um, living in uh, sexual holiness or not. You know, whether whatever those situations are, whether you're married, um, all of those. So so if there are people who are listening to this who are single and not in a relationship and and want to, to be in that relationship and desiring that, that, the will of God for you is your sanctification. If there are people in good marriages, uh, if there are people listening who are in bad marriages, uh, all of those things, um, as Christians, the will of God for us is our sanctification. And, um, and that's what we should be pursuing well no matter what age you are in right now as you're listening if you're a teenager if you're a college student if you're an adult uh please know and hear that you always have a choice that there is always hope and god's grace is greater than your greatest regret there is always opportunities um, to grow towards godliness and jesus wants to do a work in your life far greater than you could imagine and my encouragement to you would be to pursue him, to follow him. I can't help but think of Hebrews 12 that says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so know that there is, is options for you. And we as a church want to be able to help and support you. 
And so I would encourage you to reach out to us here at Fellowship Church in Dallas, Pennsylvania. We'd love to help you, to encourage you, to pray for you, and walk alongside you in any way that we can. And I just want to echo what Pastor Mark and Stephen said, is that we're here for you. And we want to do everything that we can to help you pursue the Lord and find the goodness of God and to experience it in an amazing, amazing way. And so feel free to reach out to us, uh, visit us online, uh, give us a call as well. We'd love to help you. So uh, thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of uh, our Fellowship Church podcast. If you have more questions, uh, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to continue this conversation with you as well. And so I hope and pray that you have a blessed day and we hope to uh, interact with you soon. So God bless and thank you both for joining us here today.